Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, everyone. Welcome to a very special episode of the Theater Podcast. I am joined by my other podcast, Was It Chance, my co-host, Heather Vickery, because she and I just finished hey. interviewing Ozzy Wind. Oh, my God, Heather. That was incredible. Wow. Wow. Like, blown away he in person amazing. in the show and blown away from this conversation. Yes. Yes. So, um, almost ethereal. Like, how he looks at magic as art and how life is experienced as art and alive and moving. And, oh, it was... It was fantastic yeah well something that got me that he said uh that he never set out to be um like famous or rich he just wanted to make a comfortable living and do what he loves and and magic is one of the things that he loves he just happens to be getting recognized for it but he's also a painter he didn't even talk about this in the episode but on camera we can see in the background he had a guitar and and he's a a photographer he was a photographer yeah yeah just this all-around incredible like artistic dude that just has to express himself and I cannot mm. get over how great the show is. I really can't. It's just so good. It is good. so good. Well, no, I love that. And I love his dedication to the audience in particular. When he said that the audience shapes the show and that you you it's not about protecting the secret from the audience. It's about protecting the audience from the secret so that they can keep that magic and that joy. Mm-hmm. I was like, yes. yes. I, and I feel like in so many ways we do that throughout the world throughout art i think we do it with podcasting like if y'all knew (laughs) what the messy back end looked like it might not be so much fun to listen i don't know right it's so cool to have that sort of commitment to the experience that someone's having of your work well i don't know about your messy back end but my messy back end is is nice and clean okay Okay. Uh, (laughs) all right oh my gosh now theater podcast people now you know what i have to deal with all the time but hopefully you're also listening to Was It Chance. So you probably that's already know. That's right. That's right. So along those lines, find <laughs> us on threads, Instagram and TikTok at both theater underscore podcast and Was It Chance on all three platforms. Leave a rating review wherever you're listening now. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode as much as we did with Ozzy Wind. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here you go. One, two, three. 
In the elite world of close-up magic, our guest today has long been considered a magician's magician. He's performed all over the world, leaving a trail of blown minds behind him, including ours, and has even successfully fooled Penn and Teller. Check the show notes for the link to that video. He undoubtedly has a huge talent, but very purposely keeps his audiences very small and very intimate, bringing his exquisite expertise to the off-Broadway stage in Ozzy Wynn's Inner Circle, which is produced by Dave David Blaine and has been extended like four or five times. We've literally lost count. Holy cow, Ozzy Wind, welcome to the theater podcast with the, uh, well, welcome to a joint episode with the theater podcast and was a chance. Great. Thank you for having me. Hi. And, and real quick, just so we can set the tone for the rest here uh, in my questions, do you prefer the term magic or illusions? Whatever pays the bills. Um, <laughs> the truth is, uh, it's all euphemism to me. I, magic is a beautiful word still. still uh, has. So here's the thing. Uh, illusion uh, also tells you that what I do is not real, right? Because mm. it's an illusion. It's, it's a pretense of something I'm trying to, to do. Uh, magic is the outcome. It's the effect. The, the, the bottom line say, okay, it was magic, meaning it lacks any explanation. So I like both words. I mean, illusion supplies an explanation and also tells you what it is. But magic also tells you uh, that you don't need to seek explanation. It's magic. <laughs> so I like both. I, I love that. That is that's brilliant. I'm, I'm, I need some form of that <laughs> tattooed on me somewhere. <laughs> Like, it's not, like, I, magic is the unexplainable. I will sleep on it before you go. In, in <laughs> I give it a second thought. So, so our, our standard sort of beginnings on the, on the episode um, are just uh, diving back into your heritage and where you grew up and what got, and normally uh, I'm interviewing Broadway performers of like, what got you into theater and what got you performing? But I, I love uh, your story, which you tell a little bit of in, in your show as well. But if you don't mind, can we get into um, sort of your, your beginnings? And I think you were born just outside of Tel Aviv, Israel, Correct. right? Yes. It's a city, uh, I, I, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. Every time people ask me where you're from, I always lie. I say Tel Aviv. Because that will end the conversation. It's it's clean and cut, clean cut. <laughs> uh, if, I say, if I just say the the name of my city, it's Hulon. Just to say Hulon. Hulon. They go. Hulon. They immediately you see the the face like, oh, okay, good. Like, like, <laughs> they don't want to ask any more questions. So it depends what kind of what kind of conversation I want to have. Uh, I, I grew up in a, in a city called Hulon. Amazing, it's the fourth biggest uh, city in Israel. Yet, it's not a tourist mecca. Nobody goes there. It's a lot, very family-oriented. There's some cool museums in there, by the way, like a, a museum of art, just design, unbelievable. It's adjacent to Tel Aviv. So I could literally walk. It will take me an hour and a half, but I could walk to Tel Aviv, which I did as a kid. I walked a lot. I've been to Tel Aviv. It's a great city. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, Asi, you're... Asi Wind is your stage name, right? Yeah. And that is something that we learned from you in the show. Are you willing to share what your birth name was and maybe why you made that change? Of course. So my real name is this, it's still Asi. People think that's a made-up name. <laughs> <laughs> it happens to be a, a, a quite a common name in Israel. Uh, Asi Betesh. And I, I, I pronounce it the way we said it, it's Betesh. In Hebrew, we say Asi Betesh. 
Um, in the truth, at the beginning of the show, I say, oh, I changed because it's too hard to pronounce. And then I confess that it's a lie because I changed my name because of what it uh, revealed about me, right? Mm-hmm. Asi Batesh reveals I'm a Sephardic Jew. And, and it is true. I, 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 I talk about it very briefly in the show. I don't go into detail, but I say, you know, being a Sephardic Jew back then in Israel was considered low class. And the problem was I believed it as a kid. Mm-hmm. It really is, like, we're not going to go into a history lesson here, but, you know, Israel was, there was a lot of aliyahs, a lot of immigration that came from Europe. The first Jewish people to build and, and, and set the foundations of the, for the country came from Europe, right? And then, you know, after the Holocaust, of course, lots of people fled and came to Israel. So Arab Jews, Sephardic Jews, came later when they realized we need to populate this uh, country. And I think it was Moshe Sharet, one of the ministers of Israel, says, oh, guys, we need quantity, but not at the price of quality. Something to that degree. Mm. Like, that's how he treated it. Oh. So, mm. so Middle Eastern music was not played on the radio. It, everything that, that, that uh, was cultural um, uh, to, to, to people like me, was really suppressed, and they tried to convert us to, to image to uh, what's the word I'm looking for to to make us basically like them to make us more European, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and some of the people, maybe of my generation, thought that's a good idea. And I'll tell you a quick story if you don't mind. So I, my parents listened to Arabic music, right? I was so ashamed of it. If friends came over and heard it, I would be like really ashamed, uh, I will be embarrassed. So for years, I, I pushed it away from me. And then I, I went to the acting class and they said, you need to come and sing a song, but it's a song that activates an emotion. So I said, oh, what would be better than bringing a song I really hate? And it was an <laughs> Arabic song by a very famous um, singer, Um Kalthum. The big, one of the biggest singers uh, of Egypt. She was the, 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 the biggest diva, right, of, of, of the Middle East. Like, impossible to get a ticket. She was more powerful than the, pre- the president of Egypt, right? So I took this, this song, went to my grandma, who I love dear, loved dearly. She passed, but I still love her. Um, <laughs> and I said, Grandma, teach me the words. I, I want to... To understand how to pronounce those words in in Arabic, <clears throat> and in the process of learning the song, the song was Inta Omri, "You Are My Life." That's the, a very very uh, beautiful song. So I learned the song, and I fell in love with it. <laughs> and it was the first few steps of me embracing my culture, in, in, in understanding that these are my ties to the people I love, like. The, the cooking of my grandma, I would pay a lot of money to eat her food again. Mm. And that food relates to where she came from, relates to her heritage, to the, the language, the music. And, um, and it's amazing that it took me so long to, to say, I'm proud to be who I am. And, 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 and my name is a residue of that. So, Well, I guess leaning into being yourself and expressing yourself finding 
a love for magic probably did not help or your reputation so much <laughs> like what what was that journey to to a feel uh first say oh i want to i like that i want to learn more and then b i want to do it and i'm good at it right. so that, i feel like it's two different paths <clears throat> so yeah magic i always say this so how how did you become a Jesus? i always say i was young and stupid and, 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 <laughs> and it's true it's true i really believe that my biggest luck was that I fell in love with it at the age of 13. Because if I was any older than that, if I was a, a teenager or, or closer to my 20s, I would give it more realistic thinking of, oh, can this be a livelihood? Is this prestigious enough uh, of a profession to do? If I, was, if I was start to think in those terms, I would not be a magician. But when you're a kid, you go, I love this. I'll do it. Um, there's no, the, the, the cerebral mind is not active enough to shut down this dr pipe dream, you know, dream pipe. Uh, is it pipe dream? Pipe dream. Uh, pipe dream, yeah. I'm dyslexic. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but, a, but a dream pipe is actually a really cool concept, too. <laughs> like, this is my pipe. You're like, going to lay my, that. Pipe, my dreams keep pouring out of this pipe. <laughs> I Over make here on, in my yeah. mistakes all the time. I love it. I, because I'm dyslexic, I, I switch things all in, in Hebrew too, by the way. Um, I love it. It's not wow. a, oh, wait, wait. So, so you're actually dyslexic? I, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did that, did that, does that help or hinder the card tricks? Like, because you're dealing with numbers and stuff. I guess it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yes no, because I, I think because magic is very muscle memory, uh, mm. it's easier. But data, uh, you know, reading, I could not read until second grade. I, it was really tough for me to read. Uh, learning a new language, the fact that I'm talking to you in English right now is a miracle. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was not, it, my biggest fear of moving to the States was that I can't speak English. I can't express myself in a new language. So, How old were you when you moved to the U.S.? 21. What was the catalyst, though, at that young age to make the move? So... <clears throat> So I always said, one day I'm going to move, right? From a young age. One day I'm a magician. Uh, I'm a young, you know, and, and one day I'm going to move to America and I will perform in America. And that was the dream. The, I spoke really bad English. Um, and my friend, Shimshi, who now lives uh, in Florida, moved to America about a year, maybe a year and a half before I did. His English, surprisingly, was really good. <laughs> um, he nailed the accent and everything. He's just immersed in America like so quickly. Um, but he said to me, you should move here. And I said, nah, I'm afraid. And, and he kept sending me tapes. And the funny thing is, one of the tapes he sent me was a video of a new magician who's now really big in America. He said, that's the, big, that's the most popular magician in America. And he sent me the tape. And who's that magician? David Blaine. David of Blaine. Course. I'm like, really? <laughs> and I, so I watched, I'm watching David Blaine as a kid back in Israel. And that's one of the baits to get me here. Then when I move here, which is uh, funny, I walk my dog one day and David Blaine walks towards me with one of my best friends, Doug McKenzie. And he says to, to David, oh, that's the guy I told you about. Asi, you should meet him. 
you'll get along. Wow. So I love that circle, right? I mean, from a tape that was sent to me when I was a kid to meeting the guy. And that day, by the way, we ended up paying, uh, playing backgammon until 6 a.m. in the morning. So we, we hit it off as friends first off, you know, more than colleagues, more than magic. Um, <clears throat> and it, it's just kind of an interesting circle. So David, think about David became almost a superstar at the age of 19, right? Yeah, he was really so, young. So yeah. how old was I? 12. 13. Exactly. Okay. So, so, wow. so the difference is, is uh, especially in those ages, you know, now we caught up. Now we're the same age. But back then we were not. <laughs> That's what happens <laughs> after 40, right? Yeah, after 40. Right, yeah, we're, nobody, we're all saying this point. Nobody celebrate their birthdays. It's over. But how, do, how does one magician walk up to another and they're like, hey, I think I'm as good as you. Can we hang out? Or you're like, hey, what's that behind your ear? Whoop! They're like, no, we're friends. You know, so what, how does that relationship start? Because I'm sure, and you probably have this yourself now, people aspiring, whatever you are in that profession, right? People who, who want to be like you or have uh, been inspired by you, the metaphorical you and the literal you, Ozzy, come up and say like, I want to be part of you, uh, part of your world. I want to be who you are. Like, let's be friends. Like, how does that, how did that work? So it's a very good question. Uh, Adam Gopnik, who wrote a piece on magic uh, for the New Yorker, uh, he, you know, he spent years, he came to our shows like night after night and socialized with us. Like we used to do a show called Monday Night Magic. And after the show, we, we always went to dinner. And it's a bunch of magicians sitting after the show and jamming. And he noticed something that the, is an outsider that was mind-blowing to him. He says, of all the professions, writers, actors, musicians, the strongest brotherhood I've ever seen between artists is magicians. I was in Bangkok. I went to do a, a show. I'm all alone. And I, I want to spend a few days in, in Thailand. And, and I... I'm alone. So on Facebook, I write, hey, um, I'm here in this hotel. If there are any magicians who want to hang out, let me know. Within <laughs> one, so cool. one hour, 20 magicians showed up at the lobby of the hotel. What? And I said, to them, I said to them, here's the deal. You take me to the best restaurant, like a real local restaurant. I want to I eat real Thai food. And we'll talk magic all night. And I bet you, if you saw us from the side, like just, you said, these are friends, they've been friends forever. Because this esoteric art is, is, a, is an immediate bond. We talk about mm. something we're so passionate about. And if you think about it, it's a secret passion, meaning mm -hmm. I can't discuss methods with you right now. I can't tell you, oh, how clever is this idea? How clever is this little ruse or ploy? I can't but I can do it with my, my nerdy yeah. friends. Uh, <laughs> and we can geek over a move, like with cards, like for an hour. And that's something I can only do with magicians. So it's, there's something exclusive that I can, an experience or interaction that I can only have with my fellow magicians. So it's a very it's a strong brotherhood. We're gonna take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. That was something I was going to ask was like, if, if there's anyone who knows, who is allowed to know the secrets, if there are assistants or whatever, because like you, you think of, 
you know, the the Siegfried and Royd kind of brought a lot to the the forefront and in the layman's minds, right? Because it was this big Vegas show and they were this this big couple that just did, you know, uh, uh, these partners in crime that did so many things and um and then Chris Angel of course is this giant performance artist and and whatnot as much as he is an, an illusionist. And um but then the the stuff that that you're doing, I think like it's all one-on-one -on -one. you don't have assistance i mean I'm, I'm assuming you don't have assistance you don't have people setting up the tricks you're you're like and i think that was reading it was reading something about you as well that um part of why you and david blaine get along so well is because i, I think you had said at one point that you realize he's one of the first people who's actually doing it's, it's not a trick he's actually doing the magic right? oh, yeah. he's actually doing the illusion oh, yeah. and so like you being very similar you guys bonded over that yeah so simplicity and 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 kind of like we really, so here's the deal. Before Blaine, uh, it was the big spectacles. It was the David Copperfield, it was the world's greatest illusions shows with the big boxes and all that. And by the way, I loved it as a kid. I watched Copperfield on a loop. I could, you could, you could <laughs> play a song by, you know, because he's a lot of Phil Collins uh, songs and P Peter Gabriel. You'd play a song, I'd tell you what trick he did to that song. <laughs> no, but, but I really knew it. And, and Copperfield was funny, engaging. The, the first magician to dress cool, you know, he dropped mm -hmm. the, the tuxedo. Um, he, the, the, his choice of music was, he really did so much and I loved it, right? And I still have an amazing appreciation for Copperfield and what he did for magic. I think he is a big, big, very important force in magic. And then when Blaine came to the to the to to the arena, somebody wrote. Uh, it's a negative review, and I, I keep telling Blaine it's not a negative review. He wrote that all the tricks that Blaine used in his special could be bought for fifty dollars. You can buy all the apparatus, all the, the props that he used for fifty bucks, probably in CVS or so, or maybe a magic shop, whatever. Fifty dollars. And I think this is a, a testament to how brilliant Blaine is, right? He made an incredible show with nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Because he realized that the strength of magic is two things. It's the connection with the audience. And it's about what magic does to them. And people, as much as they love seeing the magic, they loved seeing how people are moved or reacting to the magic, revolutionary. Back then, in the before Blaine, the camera was fixed on the performer and the boxes and yeah. the magic. Now the camera shows you a little bit of that, but mostly the people. That's revolutionary. Uh, that's the first thing that Blaine understood, and, and, and it made a huge shift in, by the way, how I thought about magic. To me, when I first saw Blaine, I was like, I'm not getting it. Because it's against the grain. It's against everything I've been taught. And Blaine understood. He kind of had this eureka moment of understanding. Hold on. Poor, rich, you know, educated, not educated. At the end of the day, you show them a trick. They all go, what the fuck? And they go, they freak out. <laughs> so magic kind of levels them in such a beautiful way. And it pulls that sincere you know, human reaction to something that is amazing to them. You know, it, it strips all those masks and it's beautiful. It's, it's unbelievable to me. And so, yes, yeah, so Blaine um, 
really, really uh, influenced me in that regard of the simplicity, right? It's you don't need big productions. It's not about the confetti and the, the fire and the, and the pyros. That's cool. Sure, do it. But if you take all of this out, what's left at the end of the show, I think, in my show at least, um, the stars of the show is, are my audience. I, I, well, I they want, are the stars. Yeah, I wanted to get into that yeah. next because the, the format mm -hmm. of your show, uh, it, it like you're sitting at the head of what I would equate to be like a round poker table. Yeah. Like there's felt on the top, right? Yeah. And the audience is literally stay on stable. Yeah, it's a, a seance, seance table. table. Yeah, it's a little bit bigger. I guess a seance table. Even better. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I just watched Haunted Mansion twice last week. It's on my mind. Um, so you're at the seance table with the audience members who are literally shoulder to shoulder with you. There is nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to do. You know, like whatever. I don't. I don't even know what to call it. It's not misdirection. It's not tricks. It's it's, it's le illusion. legit is magic. Let's call it magic. It's legit <laughs> magic. All right. I don't know whose soul you sold yourself to, but or who who you sold your soul to, but we'll get to that later. But um, it's insane because I love. I love, um, this ties into the Penn and Teller bit a little bit too, because uh, it, I think I, I equate a little bit to what they do and they're like, Lear, we're going to explain how we're doing it. We're going to explain exactly how this trick works. And then you do the trick and you explain it. But within the trick, there's like three layers deep of more tricks that all of a sudden that nobody is expecting. And still like in, in the explanation of the trick. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to stop there because I wonder too, Penn and Teller, Penn and Teller is they they brought the comedy to it for me and i think there's a there's a lot of that when i watched your show when we watched your show heather and i that we were we were like this is so funny it's a good so it's not engaging. only a great storytelling yeah. but it's comedic and it's good magic yeah. right and super intimate yeah very intimate right so the pen and teller part of it where did that so, did, so did that so influence you're, you at you're all? tapping on three things that each of them each of them are i got so much to ask yeah, i love this slow down this. alan let us talk. <laughs> i, I want to respond to all three things um, the first thing you said is that I'm shoulder to shoulder with people in my show, and you're right. I'll tell you a secret, a, a, a showbiz secret. If I do a show and I invite somebody on stage, and that person just, I don't have a chemistry with them, it's not working, right? You know what I do? I say, thank you so much for coming. Go back to your seat. We need another person. And I swap them. I do it in a very, you know, uh, elegant and, and humane way. I, I just, I spend a Humane. Yeah, 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 we don't yeah. kill them. No, no, but the truth <laughs> is, I, I will, will not prolong this encounter if they're not good, right? If they're just not the type to participate, you know? So I say, you know what? We had fun for the minute and a half. Uh, thank you so much for coming. How about you, <laughs> right? People do it all the time. By the way, it's true. If some, if just this doesn't work, you, you, you go with somebody. And by the way, in my show, that's all I do. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to find the right people that I know will work for, with me. Right? In my show, I don't have that privilege. I'm basically surrounded by thirteen people of the, the inner inner circle, which is the table. That's, that's it. A table. I need to get along with these people, no matter what. If the person is the, the the guy who's just not wants to touch everything and he's, he's or things like he needs to say something every every minute and be funny as well, I need. And this show has taught me so much about 
Because at first it freaked me out. I'm like, oh my God, I just had two people and they're the worst volunteers I've ever had, right? I'm stuck with them for an hour and a half. And then I start to realize that's the beauty of it. It's like you walk into a train, you know, and it's a three-hour ride, who knows, and you're sitting next to a guy. That's the guy I need to deal with, right? You can ignore him, can have a conversation, make the best out of it, right? And that's what this show taught me. I, I started to realize that they really shape the show, and I should be okay with that. I should really be okay with what they shape the show to be. So that's one. The second thing you said was about secrets. It's about, you know, Penn and Teller revealing, right? And in my, my fullest clip, I reveal a trick uh, in the show. And here's a very, very important thing. Uh, I don't know who was the one who said that, but it's a beautiful quote. I said, the magician's job is not to guard the secrets from the audience. The magician's job is to guard the audience from the secrets. It's Ooh. a big difference, right? Because here's the deal. I'm dying to tell you how clever I am and <laughs> how, how clever my methods are and how skillful I am with my hands. And I need to, to hide all of that. If you t came to me after the show, so, oh, you're really quick with your fingers. I'm like, no, it's an insult. I never touch the cards. Things happen on their own, right? I'm not even doing sleight of hand. I'm not touching anything. So for me, I want to share the secrets with you, but it's just going to spoil the fun. It's really similar to revealing the end of a movie. You know, tell yeah. you, oh, at the end, this guy dies and he marries her and she betrays him, right? And then the whole movie is gone. And, and it's a very similar thing, only that in magic, you can never tell the end of the story because the end of the story will spoil your next encounter with magic. So that's why it's so hard. At the, at the show we were at, there was a kid, I think it was an early 20s or late teenager oh, yeah. kid who would come like four three times. Three or four times. Three or four times. Oh, he's right? trying to and figure it, out your trick, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> do, you, do you have a lot of people who are coming over and over again like that? Yes. Who are just like, yeah, they're just trying to figure it out to, to like spoil it for the lack of, I mean, I mean to, to spoil it for everybody else or they just really want to know it for themselves? So, I guess there's two, two camps there. Three types, I think. Three types. There's the guy who just comes over and over again because he wants to figure it out. Sure, I'll take your money. Come again. Um, <laughs> You're not going to figure it out, right? <laughs> yeah, or if you do, I don't care. Uh, but you won't. But secondly, you have uh, the magicians, right? When I was a kid, I went to Vegas, and I, there's a magician called Matt King. Amazing, amazing comedy family magician. Unbelievable, really. The best comedy magician. So I went to Vegas with my friend Shimshi again. And we, we go to see the show. Show is over. He, do, he does two shows a night, a day. Finishes the show. I go back to the box office. I buy another ticket to see the second show. And, and Shimshi goes, what? We just saw it. I said, yeah. First time is to enjoy it. Second time is mm -hmm. to learn. So I go again. Ooh. And every day I come, every, every day and I see both shows. I saw maybe 40 times. Wow. And I think... Some people are magicians who happen to maybe like the show or, or they think there's a lesson here. They might come and sit again for not to reveal, to know how the tricks work, but to understand what makes this show work as a show. And I think that's what I did. I think that's what they do. And that's what I will do all the time. I go see shows all the time to learn. 
So in the third kind, which I, I know because people come to me and they say, you know, we come here again and again because every time we see the show, it's a different show. Mm-hmm. And that's because yeah. of the audience experience. Uh, mm-hmm. As I said, my, my audience is really a big factor, a big component of the show. And the humor and the ad-libs and what could happen and this and that makes every show unique. And I think that's why they come again. I think. Do you, do you remember, uh, I mean, do you have the type of memory that you remember almost every show? I don't know. Like the what really stands out for me talking about the ad-libs was you were asking one of the guys... Uh, you know, what would you have changed your name to? And he said, Bruce. And then uh, all the way across the house, somebody this was like, was Bruce. So funny. I do remember. Of course. <laughs> yeah, that was the show we were at. That happened. Yes. Yeah, so, so it was, yeah, it's, a, I, I love authenticity. You know, a lot of performers are afraid of hecklers, right? So, now, there, there's such thing as a heckler, somebody who ruins the show. But to me, the line of heckling is, the threshold is way, way, way wider, right? I love when people say funny things. I love when people do things that make it, makes it different, right? Like he says, what name would you, and he goes, Bruce. And she starts laughing of the name. To me, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to create what I call the illusion of the first time, or the first and only time. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. your reaction's genuine. It is because I'm I'm also a spectator. <laughs> I'm also yeah. I, I also watch the show with them. We're gonna take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. So Asi, in your show, and I'm so curious what led you to making this choice. Instead of just a deck of cards, you use a deck of cards where each of us as audience members write our name on the cards, which, of course, adds a whole nother layer of, well, we didn't do two of them. We only did one. So he doesn't have two decks, you know, that whole. It's all unique, unique not card. A, it's not all a trick so deck, yeah. unique. What led you to creating that? I mean, that it must be hard. It has to be hard. It's wild. So, it's so cool to watch. Yeah. I don't know if the, the story is going to be glorified or diminish it. So we'll see. Um, I went uh, for a walk in Central Park with a friend of mine, Michael Blau. And he's asking me, so what are you doing? I, I said to him, I'm going to do the Magic Castle in Hollywood. I have not performed there in 10 years. It's a club for magicians uh, in Hollywood. Beautiful. It's like Hogwarts. And there's rooms, close-up room, parlor, stage. And people come and there's four bars, a piano that plays on its own a restaurant mm-hmm. it's unbelievable it's an unbelievable club so and perform you can go and see shows and i performed there in in my early 20s and then for 10 years i couldn't do it because of shows and whatnot and then i said that's it i'm going to go do it so michael blau asks me so what are you going to do at the castle and i said i don't know just some tricks i don't i'm going to improvise and he goes that's not good enough so he says, you have to do something special. So I take my phone, and on my phone, I have lots of notes for shows. So I go through them, and there's a note that I wrote many, many years ago. Do a show where the audience creates a deck of cards, and the whole show is done with that deck of cards, with their names. That's all I had. And he goes, that's really cool. <laughs> now, the show needs to be 22 minutes at the castle. So we go home two weeks before the show, by the way, two, show, two weeks. 
we put together, we, we t- make hybrids of tricks that I really know well, but I convert them to this language of a deck of cards that's made of people's names. And I think it's a cool idea, right? I go to the castle and I'm performing and slowly there's a buzz. Everybody wants to see this show and it's only 30 people in the room. There's a line of three and a half hours, people waiting to Whoa. see this show. Wow. We hit a full capacity. It's a record at the castle, 7 p.m. No one can even get in. And I go, holy shit. I mean, this idea is better than I thought. It was, it was really almost by luck. I, I, I did this idea and it, it, the, it took kind of a life of its own, right? And, and it taught me that there's more to it. So I started expanding it. I did 40-minute version and then all the way to an hour and a half. So it, it was a long journey, but the seed was uh, at the castle just before the pandemic, 2019. Oh, right. So that, okay, so that is the timing then. And I guess during the pandemic, I mean, you I guess was the what, <laughs> yeah, practice, yes. Uh, but um, this is, I think, David's first producing uh, endeavor, right? So. Uh, where was it during the pandemic when you're like, well, what do we do now? I guess when we come out of the pandemic, let's do this off Broadway. Like, where did that sort of chance come into play there, or, or I guess manifesta- manifestation, sure. for lack of so, anything better? Yeah, I, I tell you something. I'm not ambitious at all. I'm a, I, I'm not. I'm really not. I'm really not ambitious. The only thing I can say uh, is that I, um, I have uh, an appetite to do things all the time. I, I can't mm. stay still. I like, I always, I'm closing the curtain because the, 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 yeah, this is better. Um, like I paint, I take photos. Um, I do, I, I always, I have, I need to do something, right? I have many, many hobbies and, and I take, I hate the word hobbies because I take them so seriously. Even coffee, <laughs> you know, I'm a barista. Me too. I'm a barista at home. I have a machine and I grind and I and I measure and I time it and I I like to do things thoroughly. I'm a de- I'm very detail oriented. So I never really had an ambition to become famous or rich or uh, sure I want to make a, a living and, and live a comfortable life. Sure, um, I want to perform. Sure, so. I tell you the story, it's a very interesting story. Winston Simone is my agent. His father, oddly enough, also named Winston Simone. Uh, Talking about (laughs) names, uh, his father really took uh, serious thinking about what to name his son. Uh, So Winston Simone Sr. uh, was Ricky Jay's manager for 30 years. Ricky Jay is one of the greatest magicians of all time. Um, and, and, and Winston Simone Sr. was representing him and managing him for many, 40 years maybe. Anyway, Winston Simone, you know, I paint and I painted Ricky Jay and he wants to buy a print for me during the pandemic of Ricky Jay to give, to give it to his father. And I'm like, okay, good. Give me your address and I'll send it to you. And he says, oh, well, you don't mind if I come pick it up in person, do you? I said, okay, that's odd, but sure. So he comes over, him and another mutual friend of ours. I've never met Winston. Never. First time I meet him. Wait, Winston Sr.? That's the son. The son. The son. Okay, okay. okay. And he's tricking me, and I don't know. 
he has a he has a ploy to um <clears throat> he comes over allegedly to buy a print yes maybe that's the intention but he has a secret agenda so he says to me so wow i've seen your fullest uh, clip and this and that and i'm very impressed so what's and i don't know that he's an agent a talent agent i don't know that mm. i just know that his father is a manager of ricky jade that's all i know and i give him the print and he says so what's your plan he said, I don't have a plan. I just, I'm going to do this show and I'm doing this corporate gigs and I'm doing this. And, and I want to do a little close-up show for like 20, 30 people in a club, you know, maybe on the weekends. And he says, well, why don't you let me help you? I'm like, I never had an agent. I turned out every agent offer I've ever had. But for some reason, this guy clicks with me, right? I said, sure, let's talk. And meeting to meeting to meeting, and all of a sudden, my dream becomes bigger. But not because of me, because of them. Uh, <laughs> and then he tells me a secret. He, he tells me, look, I start working for this company. And, I, and they said, oh, you need to bring, if you want to work here, you need to bring some talent. Who do you know? He goes, oh, I can get you as he went. He's never met me. Never, never met me. He says, I can get you as he went. I like this kind of chutzpah. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's, it, it's, it's amazing. He commits to something based on believing in his talent to persuade me to become his talent. Um, and that's how it's rolled. And all of a sudden, my, my 20 people, kind of a very low-key endeavor that I, was, I had in mind, um, became inner circle, which is, you know, it's a theater that we built from scratch. From I know I don't know if you know much about it, but just to create this curve, like to have people in in a circle, is way more expensive than if we just did straight lines, right? Of course. And it took a lot of engineering and thinking to create this intimate show. Um, so, what Winston allowed me to do was really beyond anything I I, I was aiming for. So that's why I'm saying I'm not ambitious. I, I needed someone with more ambition than me to push me there. And that was Winston. Well, if he wants to represent a podcast, I've, <laughs> I've got a couple for him. Oh, he'll, he'll make your podcast. He thinks big. I think very small. I'm like, well, what I, I just take my camera, take photos, and I'm happy. <laughs> what I think is so fascinating about that is you're just so passionate about it and you're like oh yeah cool you want to give me a venue to do this work or try this new thing or build this new thing yeah like you're just going to go all the way in but it's not about anything other than it, at least it appears to not be about anything other than your desire to pursue this passion that is magic correct absolutely or whatever you're passionate about you're right look the, the, the thing is I cannot half-ass anything. When I do something, I like to do it right. I, I'm very, I, I, by the way, I drive my team nuts on, on <laughs> everything, on everything. Like I, I, I studied graphic design and art and, you know, the poster. So much back and forth. I'm sure they're going to go, leave us alone. We just want to do it this way and it's over. And I'm well, the spacing is wrong and this, you know, I'm really, you know, I'm never happy with anything. So to me, sure, we're doing it. Let's do it right. 
and and to me to me that um, it's a curse because it comes at the expense of many sleepless nights in in in, in aggravation in in frustration because I want to be great and and I I, I I tell you something that's very, um, it's something I don't share much, but, but for example, some nights, you know, there's a, a, a couple of spectators in the show that really, like, are not good. Like, they're, they're annoying or they're, they're not good sports, they're not fun. And, and by the way, we, we didn't, did a ratio, they're a very small percentage of shows like that. It's like 1%. And what really annoys me about that, it's not them. It's the fact that they're ruining it for the other people. Yeah. The people that paid money, traveled, made an effort to come see the show, and I want to give them the best possible show. And those two people in the audience are compromising this experience, and that drives me nuts. Now, I know I'm exaggerating, but it, it, that's the, the level of detail. Like, like yesterday, my... Uh, uh, my brother's fiance, uh, I said to her, there was one, uh, uh, somebody came to review my show and he looked like he was miserable. Like his face was like, he, like he's tortured. He does not want to be here. And I did not know he's a, as a reporter. I did not know that. And I'm like, why did he even buy a ticket to see this show? And she asked me, pause, uh, my brother's fiance, she asked me, hold on. You're telling me that from a hundred people, you spotted one face that looked like he's not having fun and that bothered you? You even saw him? I said, yes, I see every face. And I care about every one of them. And it's, it, it's too much because it's like, relax. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, he wrote a great review. <laughs> oh, there you As go. He, he was just focused. <laughs> he was just... <laughs> The, playing the part of a critic, um, <laughs> but he, he, he I could not be grateful enough. He wrote an amazing piece, which I never read. I just know it's an amazing piece because everybody tells <laughs> everybody tells me I have a, a rule: I never read anything about me um, or That's watch. Fine. Yeah. Uh, so you won't listen back to this podcast no. after after we release it. No? <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but why should I? I hear every word right now. I experienced it. I think it's not going to get more. I'm not going to experience this more if I watch it again. That's true. That's very fair. I don't know. I've had a lot of people who say, gosh, listening to myself, I go, oh, I I really do know what I'm doing. Or it's so nice to hear me <laughs> from somebody else's perspective. But, I, you know, I understand lots of people don't listen back to themselves. On but you know, you know what, Heather, that's interesting because he I mean, what he was saying earlier about, you know, not uh, not ambitious, done, done, yes, just wants to live tracks. comfortably, right? Yeah. Doesn't want to be uh, super famous or super rich, just wants to live comfortably. And I feel like I wonder if that's the difference there. The people who do listen back to themselves are the ones who do want to be famous. And they do want to be mega rich. Yeah. And then like mm -hmm. Ozzy's just over here like, I just love what I'm doing and I want to keep doing it. Yeah. So here's the thing. Um, you know, when you work on a video, so I edit my own videos and, and it's torturous because I have to see myself. <laughs> I, I know seeing, that feeling. hate seeing myself on <laughs> video. Um, so it, 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 it's, it's interesting because on the one hand, you do need to hear it again and you need to critique yourself. Um, but there's some things that watching it again ruins that experience, right? Mm. You know, 
a lot of a lot of times I see people like on the street doing this. Like everywhere they go, they're like shooting in this in this. And I take photos too, watching um, through their camera, their phone. But but yeah. I feel like they see the life through those the amount of megapixels that they have on the screen. There's way more megapixels here. This mm. is this is the the highest definition you'll ever see. But mm. you're compromising it for a lower definition. You're seeing less pixels of life on this device. Yeah, and you don't experience it, I think, you're not truly present. And I do that too, like, uh, especially with my videotaping my kids things or whatever. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Is like, I'll I'll frame up my video on my phone and try to hold it there while not looking at it. And I'll go back and check it every now and then. But I love to watch what I'm recording through my own eyes, not looking at the screen recording it for that exact reason. Yeah, it's It's a constant struggle to want to capture the moment for later, but also to be in the moment. And, And the second thing I'll say to that, and again, I'm guilty of it because I'm, I'm, I, I do photography and I love video. I do. Um, but I feel like the moment you turn the, the camera on, you become a different person. Mm. Because, you know, the kind of conversation you're going to have with yourself, but when you're, there's nobody around, it's probably the most sincere, uh, the, least, the least filtered, filtered and, and the, you know, as close as you can get to reality, right? By yourself. Mm-hmm. Second is with a dear friend, someone you really trust, right? But the moment you turn this on, you basically turn the entire world to listen onto this conversation. So think about the sincerity of the one-on-one, or, or you, one-on-one is you and you, and the one-on-two is you and another person, and then the, the rest of the world. <clears throat> You're really far from, from being uh, as authentic and as real as you can be. The moment the camera turns on, that's my fear. I, I am. It's not lost on me that we're getting a a, a discussion about authenticity and realness <laughs> from a magician on video. It's on video. On, on video. video. But but I, that speaks to that speaks to who you are as a performer and how you perform. Yeah. And the, and because uh, again, we go back to the fact that legitimately, and and I, I stopped describing it, and I want to continue, but uh, you're around. Your set is like around a seance table with I think maximum three rows, and you said it's a hundred people total. I think it's so five, it's, five rows. Yeah. Five, yeah. So it's it's legitimately very intimate, and there's nowhere there's no bad sight lines. Everyone can see around you next to you in front of you and you're laying everything out when you do things flat on the table there's a camera above you that's, that's uh, some of the stuff, yeah, yeah. Projects, yeah that's very cool and it's it's um it allow you're you're going out of your way to make sure no one is missing a single detail because you do want to be right there in their face in front of them showing them you know exposing the trick which is part of the trick too well, you know yeah and what i love is that you you say over and over well, you know, I'm lying to you. Or I'm, you know, yeah, that was a not lie. Tell- that, that was a lie. lie. I'm not telling you the <laughs> truth. And yet, like, it it was. It's amazing. <laughs> kind of blows me away. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, look, the show has a few goals in mind, and I understand, by the way, that sometimes you know I reach those goals, and sometimes the person who comes to the show has an experience that I could have never predict is going to have. Uh, but to me. If, you know, my biggest enemy is the theater. Because the, 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 the best magic you'll ever see is if you and I went to dinner, you know, ate something and I didn't say, uh, let me show you something. Mm. It, it's, it's in the restaurant and you go and you don't expect it. And 
the confinement and the con contrived environment of a theater is immediately against me. I'm trying to erase the fact that we're sitting in a formal theater and you're now, I want, the biggest compliment I got, I did, we did a testimonial uh, video and one guy said, again, I did not interview him, but, so it's nice that he said it. He says, within five minutes, I felt like we we're buddies. Yes. And, and to me, that was really uh, right on the money. That's what I'm, what I'm after. I want to create a, a connection that there is no inferior, superior. We're in this together and we're going to experience this together. And that's why the humor that I have in the show is, is to remind you that uh, it's a bunch of secrets that I know and I'm showing them to you. It's, it's nothing more <laughs> than that. And, and the, the real magic is really what we make of it here together. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. I grew up on some, I don't name anybody, but some magicians were like very dignified and the posy and uh, the, all the flourishy moves and, uh, you know, <laughs> blah, you know, and to me that's so pretentious and so all these moves, you know, uh, <laughs> it's like, it's like, who are, <laughs> like you, they're conjuring. Who are you fooling? You know, <laughs> or with the wand, you know, <laughs> to me that's so pretentious and so stupid. So, <laughs> It's, it's so like I'm not real, but there's like you know the magicians who say I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, and because of those questions, I will know what you're thinking. And I do it in the show, but it's a parody because the questions they ask are so stupid. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, yeah. I know we have told about. that story, Alan yeah. and I, probably five times have told the oh, story yeah? about that bit in your show. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's, well, you know what it is? It's a parody on magicians that I, I saw as a kid that did it for real. Mm -hmm. They go, um, you know, and say, I'm going to ask you a few questions and uh, based on your answers, I will know anything I need to know. About it. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, what is your favorite book? <laughs> oh, great. Uh, what you, you know, so I, I came up with, I, I really, it took me a long time to find the most ridiculous questions that everybody knows that's not helping him. <laughs> There's no way that, For this, sure. that these questions are helping him figure out this thing. So it's it's a bit of a parody on on. Magicians who take themselves too seriously and have this pretentiousness about them. Oh, I'm so clever, you know. But that brings <laughs> up an interesting point. Asi, at what point, or maybe you haven't reached it, but I hope that you have, did you go, damn, I'm really fucking good at this? Never. Never. Even after Penn and Teller, like you fooled Never. two of the best. Never. Dabbling produces your show and you're I like, meh. I refuse to watch this clip for a long, long time until somebody made me watch it because I, I needed to to upload it to my channel and that requires watching it, <laughs> you know. Um, and I really hated the idea of seeing... I n I'm never happy with my... with fully with what I do. I, 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 I have joy during the thing. But mm. after it, it's like, oh, I should have done this. Oh, I should have been this. Oh, I should... I, I'm a neurotic Jewish person. With a, <laughs> a friend of mine, Rune Klan, said to me, you're like the combination of all the characters of Seinfeld, melded into <laughs> one person. You know, there's the, you know, the clever, the neurotic, the guilty, the this. The... And it's true. I, I, I'm fighting it. I, I, I should relax a little more. But I... 
included. I, I'm, I'm scrutinizing things way, way more than I should. And I, I'm learning slowly what to let go of and what not. Right now, I don't have this uh, filter of what's worthy of my censoring and my attention and what's not. I'm working on it. So we'll see. That's, that's cool. I hope you that's get there cool. because you <laughs> deserve it because you are very, very talented well, and it's special. It's different I watching it. you perform. How do you come up with, with new, new tricks? And, and, and then once you find something that you know you want to do, uh, how long does it take to really perfect it to performance standards? I will say the answer is forever. It's never perfect, first of all. Um, I got to that, Alan. But it's, yeah, but it's true. I, it, well, I mean, like, I, ready to bring it into a show or no. like, I'm going to try. Like, com like, comedians will go in and they'll be like, I'm going to try a joke. Oh, that fell flat. Scratch it off the list. But you can't really do that in Oh, magic. you can. Oh, you can. Oh, really? I think comedy, comedy and magic uh, have a lot in common. Uh, you know, when you do a serious uh, play, dramatic, and there's silence in the audience, you don't know if they're inside, like, sobbing and, like, really feeling it because it's very internal. But with comedy, you tell a joke, no laugh, flat, right? It failed. Same with magic. If there's no gasp or, whoa, what happened? You know, or an amazement. It could be more, there's flavors of that. There's more subdued amazement. But you can feel it. And you know it didn't hit. With magic, mm. you know it didn't hit. And if it didn't hit, you go back home and you go, what did I do wrong? <laughs> and sometimes... There's something beautiful, 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 beautiful. There's a theory called the too perfect theory. We're not going to discuss it. There's a cousin theory that me and a few friends of ours contemplated. Uh, it's called the too impossible theory. And you say, what, how can some, something be too impossible? And uh, uh, if you have a second, I'll read to you a paragraph from my favorite book. It's a book that was written in the 1600s. If I can open it, we'll see, we'll see if I can. Um, oh, here. We'll see if it opens to that. Ah, please remove the book. For, okay, I can't. But I, I'll, I'll, then I'll tell you about it. Um, Cervantes wrote Don Quixote, right? Um, he writes a paragraph about this too impossible theory, but that's calling it a too impossible theory. Um, and he, he basically, he talks about chivalry books. He says, by restraining impossibility, it, the, the thing becomes more plausible and therefore more enjoyable, right? So, and that's what Blaine does too. It's, if the magic is like, you know, I don't know, you disappear and reappear on a, on a, on a building over there, it just... Nobody believes that, right? Even if you, it's flawless illusion and you really seem vanish and reappear, you go, I refuse to believe this. Uh, yeah, sure, I don't mm, know how you can't it. suspend disbelief. Yeah. You say, I'm not, yeah, I'm not going with you on this ride, you know. But on the other hand, when something seems, oh, maybe it's possible, but, but it's, you know, you have this back and forth. Yeah, I think he can do it, but no, he can't. And then you go, okay, I, I give up. It's magic. Right, that's more, much more pleasing, and because it's there's a lot of magicians, you know, that they, they abuse that they they do over over the top magic. Yes, it's spectacular and all that, but it doesn't hit. So yeah, there's a, when I do when I work on magic, 
I fine-tune this. And sometimes, believe it or not, we do a trick. And I go back and say, it's too impossible. It's too amazing. We need to tone it down a bit. Make it less amazing. And by, by making it less impossible, less amazing, quote-unquote, it becomes better. And it's weird because it's so counterintuitive. That, that oh, makes so sense, you have though. to Yeah, you have to make it in the realm of possibility so that they can relate to it. Yeah, because especially stuff online, the big, the, the grandiose stuff, I'm like, oh, that's a camera angle, or they edited it, or like, you can always claim that sort of thing when you're not there in person, which I think, you know, doing any sort of thing over, um, uh, I guess, digitally like that is hard, which I think, like, are you a fan of Justin Wellman, Magic for Humans on, on Netflix? I, I, so like, I, I, Justin is a dear friend of mine. I have not seen the show, but I think Justin is a wonderful performer. Wonderful. I've seen him on stage. I've seen him do his show. Super funny, engaging, and wonderful, wonderful performer. Yeah, yeah. And he's he's got... Why I brought him up is because I think he does... He's one of the few thing, few people I've seen um, that, of course, no cutaways, one steady shot, um, where it's, so it's showing the audience... To hear that. That's good. Yeah, yeah. It's showing the audience um, what you're seeing in person, which I think is really important. It's important. And I think the one thing that Justin gets, and, and you know, he came to the show and we had this discussion, you know, he, he understands that the magic is supporting is a vehicle it's it's a tool to create it's it's weird to to verbalize it to put into words but the the real magic really happens between this human interaction where we i'm sharing a story with you right of something that should not happen and you and i you know make it work i, I tell you it's, it's a quote i put in my in my program is that my job is to lead you as close as possible to magic. But there's a point where I can't. Now you need to make that step towards me so it happens, right? It's um, you need to be the co-author of my show to some degree. You need to complete my work. Uh, a dear friend, Jonathan Safran Foer, one of you know, my dearest friends and, and favorite writer, authors, um, he, 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 we, we did a podcast during the, the pandemic, and he says, you know, I, you write about a tree, right? There's a tree in front of the house. That's all the information. But what tree is it? How big is it? How much shadow is it casting over my, my, my apartment? That's up to you, right? You, you and that's, uh, uh, it was Stephen King who said, is that uh, good writing starts with the author's imagination and ends with the reader's imagination. Ooh. It's beautiful, right? <clears throat> you really need those two things to meet, you know. I feel the same thing about art. You know, when you go to a museum and you see a piece of art, you can say that the piece is all spelled out, meaning the composition, the colors, everything. But I, I think that I've seen, you know, I'm a big Vincent van Gogh fan um, or, or Lucy and Freud, and every time I see the same painting, I experienced something different. Why? It's a different day. The weather is different. My feelings as a human being, different. I'm angry, I'm happy, I'm this, I'm that. Who, who am I with? Am I with somebody who's as enthusiastic about the art as I am or not? Am I in the role of showing him the art or am I an equal? Or, all of these things will change the experience of that and the light. 
the natural light mixed with the, the light of the museum will change the effect on the painting too. So even something as static and as fixed as a painting is a, is a moving, it still moves, it still has a life. And I love that. To me, wow. I, I think I feel like I feel like you see art. Do you watch Foundation on Apple Plus? No, should I? Apple TV Plus? No. Uh, yeah, I think you should. I mean, it, it's just Alan consumes a lot of media. <laughs> I do. It's based on the books that were written, I think, in the late fifties. Don't quote me on that. That influenced George Lucas to write Star Wars. But um, there's this mural wall that the pigments are. They're not alive, but they move. And so, like when you paint with it, the the pigments sort of move around oh. as as you're painting. And it, it's it's kind of this running through line of the whole thing. But that's how I that's how I feel like you see actual art. I, I so I don't know if I see it. I'm just. I'm influenced by art, and I, and because of my appetite of painting and, and, and taking photos and performing and all that, I always try to see the thread. What's in common to those things, right? And some, sometimes somebody just asked me, you know, uh, he, he, he said to me, oh, uh, you know, a show is unique because every show is different because of how it unfolds every night. But a painting, that's it. You finish it. It has, it's fixed. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's, not. it's the same. But that's perspective, right? It's your hmm. perspective in that moment because of all the things you said, the way your morning went before you showed up to look at it, the way you're feeling, who you're with, the light, all of that. And perspective is something, so I'm a transformational success coach. That's something I work with clients on all day, every day is you want to shift your experience, shift your perspective, look at it from a different point of view and that ties into a question that we ask always on was it chance which is what's your relationship with failure because that's perspective also absolutely and, and when i look at those eyes every night those hundred sets of eyes i i understand that every person in this room brought his day with him mm -hmm. he's sitting in the audience but he's is the product of his life, of course, in, in, in the day in, in the day he lived that day. Maybe maybe that day he got fired. Maybe that day he got dumped. Or maybe that day he got married. Or or they're bringing that experience yeah. to my show. And they're seeing the show with those feelings and with those um, emotions. So I, as I'm aging, um, I'm becoming more and more sensitive and empathetic to to my audience and who mm. in in how how careful you need to be even though I, the humor is is very buddy buddy and it's it's fun and it's you know it's not there's a bit of hoots behind my show for sure uh, but i i strategically really respect my audience in 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 their their sensitivity to to anything right so it's my goal is that they walk away feeling great. Yeah. Really, really great. And well, we certainly did. Oh, yeah. I'm still feeling great. It's all coming back to me <laughs> in this know, conversation, too. Let's like, do it again. I'm going to come like, back to I want to talk about again. that part, and then this part, and then that part. So, but, oh, yeah. so, Asi, what is your relationship with failure? Daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, failure. Wow. Failure is, is a big part of my, I fail all the time. Uh, I, I, but, but again, as you spoke about perspectives uh, of failure, I, 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 
you know, failure used to mean something else to me in my 20s than it does yeah. to me in my 40s. Um, failure sucks. You're human and it's going to, to hurt. And But but the way I, I, I harvest the, the, the failure today is very different in, in what I learned from it. And, and I'm not good at it. I'm not going to say I'm good at it. I'm just trying to really learn from it and, and and a lot of things that would render fa- as a failure in my 20s now they render as life it, yeah. it's the dna of life it's the i i i i hope i'm probably not doing it as, as, as well as i want to do it but i'm trying to to not even call it a failure yeah you know because because it's very easy to label things success, failure, success, failure, but this two, the binary nature of this is, is, is misleading, I think. Because I agree. I, because, because, you know, what's a 10 show and what's, you know, there's, there's a million shades between the perfect show and everything beneath it, right? So does that mean it failed? I don't know. So as I told you before, that I'm starting to learn because I'm fixed with the audience I have. It's the audience I have. I can't send them back to their seats because that's it. So I'm starting to embrace the fact that every show is unique because of the, the this arrangement of the people who yeah. came to that show, and they're going to create a show that's one that's unique. I can like it. I cannot like it. It doesn't matter. That's the show. It's yeah. it's a special moment. So yeah, I I, I think. I think when I make mistakes, I'm very quick to to say, okay, how do I prevent the next time? How do what do I learn from this? And what is this failure has taught me? So I think I'm good at that. I'm not so good at at, at, at accepting um, imperfections. Mm-hmm. My the, the pursuit of perfection perfectionism is is just impossible. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting to designate the difference. Yeah, there is a difference in imperfection and quote unquote failure. Yes, I agree. All right, so uh, three standard closing questions that I ask everyone to wrap up my theater podcast episodes. Just these are s- simple questions. I put in air quotes. The very first one is simply, "What motivates you?" Uh, it's. I'm going to answer this the quickest I can. Uh, <laughs> I, I've thought about it for a long time. Uh, but but the, the theme I see that every time I see a person who does a mundane thing, something very simple, but he does it with the most love and care and attention to detail, it's a turn on. It's like, wow, it's, that's it, right? Doing something simple, mundane, but doing it as if that's the most important thing in the world keeps me going. I, I, I'm, mm. I'm moved, I'm inspired by that. That's why when I see a great performance and I go home, I need to go work too. I need to go do my thing now. Uh, or, or even, I don't care if it's somebody who makes art with, with, I don't know, matches, but he treats it like it's the most important thing on the planet. He's my hero. Yeah. That. Oh, that's beautiful. Okay. What yeah. advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Relax. <laughs> <laughs> Relax. That's great advice. Take a breath. It's okay. It's okay. Enjoy the journey. I don't think I, I don't have better, something better than that cliche. It's, it's literally, 
um, find that balance of, and it's the hardest thing of pursuit of perfection and enjoying the journey. It's to, to if you make a hybrid of the two, you're the winner. If you can aim for the perfection, which you'll never achieve, um, but aim the same at the same time, enjoy the journey, accept it as a journey, accept the steps, accept the fact that it's. By the way, I, I'll tell you a quote that sticks with me forever. I went to a school of visual arts and uh, the prof my graphic design professor, uh, was, I'm blanking on his name, said, don't strive to be a good artist. Strive to be a better artist. Because mm -hmm. good as an end. Now I'm good. Better, it means I'm only better than yesterday. It's ongoing and it's forever. And it's, it's the, the, the mantra that kind of like, okay, I'm not a good magician. I'm better. I know I'm better than I was in my 20s, than my 30s. I know. I didn't reach good. I'm better. <laughs> so I to me, the quote, it's a good again, quote. to quote Andre DeShields in his Tony acceptance speech, the top of one mountain is the bottom of the next. Yeah. You got to just be better. Yeah. I yeah. can remember my oldest daughter when she was running track in middle school and she was terrible she was always the last one she kept and running backwards she, on her hands <laughs> no but um at one point and and she is a massive perfectionist but at one point she said to me i know i'm not going to beat them so my goal each time i run is to beat myself nice nice it's amazing i like that it's let's wonderful that. let's do it's that really, it's yeah. wonderful it's yeah. it's healthier it's it's healthier and 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 and, and sometimes with life, I think what I perceived as wrong and flawed and failure, I realize it's not. It's 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 beautiful, you know. The, the scratches of my film camera are beautiful. They're like there's there's imperfection that I'm starting to love in in in, in the the show of age and you know, I, I the photos I like to take is the people that their face tells a story, not the. Mm you know, completely smooth and, you know, photoshopped face, <laughs> you know, yeah. to me, I, I, the imperfections are becoming, or the flaws, they're not flaws anymore. They're candid, candid photos are my favorite, like capturing them in a moment. All right. So last question then, um, and you can interpret this to be a, a, for magic, for TV, for film, for theater, whatever you want. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, you can see it as many times as you want. What would you see? A live show? Well, interpret it as you, as you will. It could be it could be a movie. David Copperfield's first show, if that's what if you could travel in time. I don't mean to lead the witness. Uh, okay, I'm okay, yeah, In yeah. Interpret okay, it okay, however okay. you want. So the best, best, best magic experience I've ever had, and as I told you, that's what I'm trying to create in my show. There's a magician who's now eighty something years old, Juan Tamarith. Um, who, in my opinion, is the greatest living magician. And when I was a kid, I, I spoke about him in the show. He influenced me a lot. The guy is magic. The guy is magic. And, um, and it was after dinner, 20 or so people around, and he took a little pad and a deck of cards and did a show for us. I would watch this again and again for the rest of my life because it's the most magical thing i've ever seen that's so cool it speaks to you that's yeah. 
That's brilliant. That's that's what we wanted. So everybody, listeners, please go to ozzywind.com. That's A-S-I-W-I-N-D. Tickets are now on sale through January 7th, 2024. And fingers crossed it will keep on getting extended. I don't know if you've got any plans after January 7th. But <laughs> I don't think it will, but we'll see. I don't think it will. We'll see. Y'all want to go see this show. Go oh to gosh. New York just to see this show. Yes. And it is also in a beautiful neighborhood. We didn't even cover it. It's like just south of Washington Square oh, Park. Yeah. In, uh, we had a nice walk through we, the park. We came, yeah, we came out after the show and we walked through the park and it's like 11, 11.30 at night or something. And it's just alive with all some, I mean, New York experience. Come see Ozzy Wind and Washington Square Park. Great. Um, <laughs> where else can we find you on social media? Are you? Do you do the social game? I do. I am on Instagram, uh, Ozzy Wind, A-S-I-W-I-N-D on Instagram. And then Heather and I are on threads, Instagram, and TikTok at theater underscore podcast. And was it chance? Leave a rating and review for uh, for the theater podcast. And was it chance? Um, Theaterpodcast.com. Was it chance.com. Thanks to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. Special thanks to my was it chance co-host, Heather Vickery and Ozzy Wind. Oh, my God. Thank you most of all. You've spilled all your secrets without spilling any secrets. And I know, right? How do you do it's that? Brilliant. It's so cool. So brilliant. This was thank great. You. Thank, thank you for joining us. You guys, thank you so much. Bye-bye. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.